Hello and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short controlled bursts. I'm John Ingle. I'm Kyle Crane, and today we're talking about Minute number 48, which begins with Ripley once again telling Newt that it's okay and ends with Hicks opening the storm shutters. And yes, once again, that's Kyle Crane back with us from uh, Ghostbusters Minute and all that. And, uh, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. And uh, we have Genevieve Kosky back again for a lovely Wednesday. Thanks uh, for coming back again, Genevieve. I'm still here. Thanks for having me. All right. So we've got uh, we got Ripley has now entered the the nest of of Newt here and uh, kind of we're seeing how it is that Newt has survived all this time and what she's been up to. Now, one of the things I think I even mentioned in an earlier minute talking about Newt a little bit is that she's clearly taken a lot of time and presumably a lot of risk uh, to get all of these things into this lair, correct? Yeah. yeah, she seems it, to have a thing for beads and <laughs> jewelry. <laughs> she seems, you know, they, had, they had a really uh, robust Mardi Gras celebration on LV4. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so fascinated by these beads. Yeah. <laughs> well, did you catch the one? Um, my first thought, again, to mention Indiana Jones again, when Ripley's walking in and there's a bunch of stuff, there's a bunch of jewelry kind of hanging what, from what looks like sort of a fuse box or something in the background there. There's what clearly seems to be the headpiece of the Staff of Ra kind of replica sitting back yeah. there. It's like a circle piece with a jewel off-centered in the middle. You know the one I mean, right? So, yeah, yeah that's it really looks like the, my first thought when I was really looking closely at all the things in the background was like, hey, she has the headpiece of the Staff of Ra back there. That's crazy. Maybe she's a, dis- a distant relative of, of Abner Ravenwood. If, if I had to guess, I think that those are all probably meant to be her mother's jewelry. Yeah. And those are like mementos that mm-hmm. she's scrounged. I'm curious why her mother brought so much jewelry to the, to on, on this expedition. It doesn't seem like one that would invite a lot of, you know, formal occasions for, for dressing up with a large variety of jewelry. Uh, but, you know, it, I guess it's brought comfort to Newt in, this, <laughs> in these hard times. Well, they do have the one bar there on LV-426, as we saw earlier. There's a neon sign out there. So maybe for those nights out, you got to act like there's something to go out for. You got to act like there's some kind of nightlife. So not to mention that she could probably 3D print those anytime she wants, right? Right. I was just going to point out another uh, thing in Newt's Nest. Uh, She appears to be subsisting on a box of tinfoil-wrapped bricks. Uh, which I think we have a better shot of in, in the last minute, but uh, you can slightly see them them here too. It's just like it, it it's just like a, it's literally just a cardboard box full of foil wrapped blocks, you know. And I think it's supposed to like maybe be rations or something, but they're clearly just aluminum foil wrapped blocks. Do you think maybe it's like those um, those uh, spaceman ice cream that you get in any museum like gift shop on the way out? <laughs> she just has a stockpile of that. Perhaps, perhaps I don't. I don't know exactly what they're doing, but some of some of uh, Newt's nest in particular, the set dressing therein feels a, a little a little haphazard to me. I feel like the the story of what Newt has been going through is not fully told through the the set dressing in her nest the way it could be. <laughs> well, I mean, do you get the idea that besides the rations, which I think is clearly what those are supposed to be, I ho- hopefully they're not like Snowpiercer esque, you know, bug. <sighs> Just process bugs or something, yeah. but, uh, which is the first thing I now I think of with future food. That's the first thing I think of now. But um, I think that are we supposed to kind of get the idea that this might be the entire like 
every single thing from their living space, from her family's living space. I mean, we we already know probably that those are her mother's jewels. But was she probably just going back and forth from her living space that would be her home, presumably? Maybe the only one she's ever known, for all we know. And she's just getting everything she can from there and just cramming it into this tiny space. Yeah, it's entirely possible. I, or maybe not even her, just her family's space. It could be from, you know... I, I think it's probably more likely that it's scrounged from a, a bunch of different of the, the living spaces because, well, I don't know. I guess all those toys in there could be hers. There just seemed to be a, a variety of children's toys mixed in. So, I guess when you have full reign of uh, running around and collecting all the remaining toys, you try to get the best of everything and stick it in there. It's, it's, <laughs> right. very character, it's a very character-driven uh, space. You know, it's got everything that you think a feral child would have and you know, that's important to them, like, uh, you know, comfort items. Yeah, I suppose if you're a kid, you're probably going to not have too many qualms about going and stealing your dead friend's toys, maybe. I don't know. You're like, oh, I always loved I always loved Kimmy's doll, but she never shared it with me. Well, she's dead now, so I can go get it. I don't know. I don't want to think I that win. negatively about Newt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also, I mean, kind of going back to the idea of, of Newt as a cornered animal, I think that also kind of... Uh, works with all of the jewelry and beads in, in this scene because they're, they're shiny objects. You know, you uh, animals go after shiny objects. And that's kind of like the only reason for all of this jewelry to be here. I'm, I'm really fixated <laughs> on how much jewelry is in this space. <laughs> now, I, I remember as a kid seeing this scene and it really kind of hit too close to home uh, for some kid, children who are friends of mine who maybe didn't have like uh, helicopter parents. Uh, it just kind of like it, this looked exactly like some kids I knew who lived in a trailer park and this was their room. You couldn't see the floor because there was just garbage everywhere and toys everywhere. So it's very uh, it's this the scene is um, it's great for Ripley's character moment, but there's some parts of it that kind of make me wince a little bit, too. Which I think you're supposed to, right? I mean, this is supposed to be like shock, kind of shocking, I would think, you know, like, oh, my God, not only is she a feral child, uh, presumably the only survivor of this place, but look how she's living. Oh, my God, this is so sad, which, you know, later in this minute, we get a juxtaposition, an image of uh, that juxtaposes that. So we get the idea of how far she's so, quote unquote, fallen here. But um, I was going to say, I, I haven't been doing this a lot for aliens, but for some reason, this section of the script is really appealing to me. And I was going to read another excerpt from the script uh, that speaks to what Genevieve, you were saying about her being a cornered animal. You said in the last minute and brought it up again in this minute. I was going to read this section. So uh, Ripley has come into the to the nest here and she's trying to calm uh, uh, Newt down. So it says Ripley grabs her, controlling her in a bear hug. The kid struggles wildly like a cat at the vet. Eyes wide, hands lashing out in a frenzy, but silent. No scream. Ripley says, it's okay, it's okay, it's over, you're going to be all right now. Newt goes limp, almost catatonic. Close, uh, this is a shot description, close, uh, close in on Newt's traumatized vacant stare. Her lips are white and trembling. Her eyes track wildly as she flinches, flinches from unseen terrors. We read a dark nightmare world in her eyes. I thought, James Cameron, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's yeah. pretty good yeah. descriptive writing here. I, because, you know, I'm a screenwriter and I'm constantly afraid to say too much, you know, in these kind of character descriptions or moments of silence where I'm always tussling between how much can I say and how much should I 
withhold. And if I try to say too much about what the actor is doing in the scene, am I not overstepping? And I think this is a wonderful balance of that because you're getting the image on the screen. You're not necessarily getting the performance imbued. Now it's a kid performance, so he's not too worried about whether the kid's going to be offended by him over directing in the screenplay or something, but um, it's just good writing. I really like it. And it is exactly what we see on the screen and exactly the performance we get from Carrie Hinn, who, which we, I guess now we can start talking about Carrie Hinn a little bit and what uh, she means to this movie and where she came from. Um, as I understand it, uh, as, as described multiple places and in, in the uh, commentary on the, the Blu-ray, is that Carrie Hinn was no actor before this. She, Her family really had no ambition towards her becoming an actor, and her dad was apparently an Air Force, uh, was on an Air Force base nearby. And it was kind of just turned out to be the perfect person, perfect kid for the role. And, and it was a bit of luck, really, that this kid turned out to, to be so great. I know some people have a problem with Newt. Uh, there's certain people out there in Twitter land that know who, the, who I'm talking about right now. Um, but... I love Newt. I think Carrie Hinn's amazing. I think in a lot of ways, she's the engine that drives this movie. Uh, obviously, Ripley's the the body. The, she's the vehicle of the movie. But I think Newt is the engine that drives Ripley in a lot of ways in this movie. So um, Carrie Hinn, we'll be talking about her a lot as the movie goes forward. Yeah, I, I agree completely. You know, I, I asked to do uh, some Newt minutes because I think she is just so, so important to this film. And uh, I'm... I'm glad that I'm I'm not with uh, any Carrie Hen deniers here. Although I guess Kyle, you haven't weighed in yet. But but because I think it is such an extraordinary child performance, especially in these moments. Because like trauma is a hard thing to ask a child to emote. You know, like they hopefully don't have uh, as much context for it. You know, and I, I think it is interesting in that regard that the script focuses so much on the the cornered animal aspect of it. And I, I think the idea of a cat at the vet is just that's such a perfect image. And I, I don't know if it's something that Carrie Henn understood in her performance. I, I would actually probably like to know a little bit more about how she was directed in, in these moments, because that when Ripley is like calming her down and giving her that, that bear hug, like that is a really amazing physical performance. Like, especially like when she goes limp at the end, like she looks defeated, but also traumatized and and out of it. You know, she's not like necessarily giving up. She's shutting down though. You know, she's not processing this as a moment of salvation. It's a moment of capture because that's all she's really experienced in the scenario up to that point. And that's how an animal at the vet is, you know, they don't know that this is something that's good for them. They just know that they're, they're scared and being forced out of, you know, their comfort zone that they know, and they, they panic until they can no longer panic. And they just are, you know, they shut down. I just want to say one thing before Kyle uh, chimes in about his feelings about Newt, but I I was going to say that this this line about the cat at the like a cat at the vet. Don't you find that to be kind of the perfect uh, screen direction for a child? That's like something that a child could actually relate to, as opposed to more complicated psychological kind of description. Uh, kids typically under, have observed cats and dogs and animals well early into their childhood. My kid gets it. Like my kid knows our cats. He, he strangely, sometimes it's shocking how he can interpret their feelings and stuff at such an early age. So to me, I wondered if this was James Cameron mindfully going, if a kid reads this, I want them to understand what they're supposed to feel here. So maybe it was just a, some more deft screenwriting on his part. 
But now, Kyle, please, sorry to interrupt you. Please go ahead. <laughs> no, that's I, I think that's a perfect uh, direction for that. And, uh, you know, eventually when we get around to it, I want to talk about James Cameron's uh, screenwriting and, and kind of like how he approached this, this screenplay. But uh, I wanted to chime in that I am also Team Newt. Uh, I think that Carrie Hinn uh, did such a great performance here that I have no problem with the fact that she never did any acting after this because she came in. You can't do better than 100 <laughs> percent as she did with Newt and then said, you know what, I'm, I'm retired. I'm done. I'm out. And, uh, you know, it's um, it's a shame we didn't get to see her in more stuff, but she just did such a perfect job with Newt here that, uh, you know, we didn't need anything else from her. But um, and, you know, I, I got a lot of uh, kind of um, I, when, when I watch this scene, when I watch her holding Newt and trying to calm her down, it reminds me a lot of uh, the Helen Keller movie, The Miracle Worker. You know, and how uh, everybody else is kind of giving up on Newt at this point. You know, they don't feel like chasing her in there, but Ripley's not going to let her go and knows that, you know, eventually if I sit here and I hold this child long enough, she's going to understand on a human emotional level that we're not here to hurt her, that we're here to help her. And it does take Newt a little bit to kind of warm up, but of course the person she warms up to is Ripley. But kind of that whole, you know, I'm I'm not letting you go. I'm just, you know, quiet, you know, just holding her. And eventually Newt even has that... Um, that gaze, she's just looking off into absolutely nothing, like almost if someone doesn't have the ability to see, you know, and she's, she's not making, she's just, you know, kind of grunting and squirming and, you know, making high pitched squeals. And the whole time Ripley's just like, no, it, it, it's going to be okay, sweetie. I'm just going to hold you here until you understand that, you know, we're not here to hurt you. So I don't know if that was um, in the performance at all, or if that was any part of the direction, but it's just kind of the first thing that my mind went to. Uh, whenever that whole scene happened. But uh, yeah, no, I am definitely a, a big fan of Carrie Hinn in this film. Uh, and it's funny, I was actually, um, you know, John talking to, kind of speaking to what you're talking about, a lot of people, there are a lot of new detractors out there. Uh, I was on a Facebook group uh, for the Alien franchise, and Carrie Hinn was actually added to the group at one point. Uh, and it was not within five minutes before she was driven out of the group because of uh, the number of people just contacting her. And I really miss the fact that we didn't get to have her kind of like chime in on some, you know, maybe some insights into what it was like shooting the film. Uh, but there are some people out there. You know, the internet, it's a place full of bad people. So <laughs> fortunately, I'm, I'm with two of the good ones here today, though. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's distressing to hear. And like, I mean, it's not like she doesn't talk about this performance, you know, even it's not like she's like written it out of her history or anything. You know, she she did some stuff around the 30th anniversary and, you know, it's apparently she'll like sign copies that her, her students give her of the, of the movie, you know. Um, so I, I like thinking it about like her relationship with the movie is just like, it's a thing I did, you know, it's it doesn't, you know, um, it doesn't define me necessarily. It's just this discrete moment in my life. Um, and I, I like that, you know, she's allowed it to continue to be part of her life without defining her life moving forward. Yeah, she's very gracious about it all. Yeah. Yeah, she, she seems to attend all the uh, all the fan events. And, and you know, it's funny because her IMDb is Aliens and then like 15 documentaries on the making of Aliens after that. So, you know, she there was a, a time in Sigourney Weaver's life where she just wanted to walk away from the franchise, and it seems in the last few years she's kind of accepted her place in it and has gone to a lot of these fan events and is open to talking about Ripley or, you know, we can talk about this at some point, but maybe even playing Ripley again in another film. Uh, but it seems like Carrie Hinn the whole time was just kind of like, you know, proud of her work uh, that, that she did here. But it, it's really cool, too, that 
in uh, you know the majority of the uh, marketing and advertising for this film is that you know one hero shot of Ripley you know holding Newt on her hip with the giant duct tape you know machine gun flamethrower combination by her side. But Newt is inseparable uh, from the soul and the identity of this film. From everything I understand, and it's it seems very believable. Everybody seems very authentic about it. Uh, that Sigourney Weaver and Carrie Henn still are very close, and I think that's mm-hmm. very, very, very cool because that connection had to have been built really so so much through the roles here, the performances. Not you know, you, of course they hung out behind the scenes, but you know you work with people on the set of a movie and, and child actors, and that happens multiple times, you know, throughout certain actors' career or once or twice, and you don't necessarily form a bond uh, that lasts thirty five years. But in this case, apparently it did, and and they're very close when they're together, and and I think it, that is even some of the uh, maybe one of the things that's compelled Scorny Weaver to take part in some of these reunions and gatherings is that Carrie's actually there, you know, and I think that's so cool, and that uh, speaks volumes about what we're about to get into, which is the the bond that was built between Ripley and Newt. All right, so you know we got the bear hug going on, we get the cathartic like limp. Newt that's finally calming down a little bit. She's feeling some humanity coming from Ripley, some some reason to be calm. And Ripley scans the room a bit and catches a glimpse of a picture, right? So she lifts it and we get this insert shot of a picture of Newt in happier times, a school photo from her winning the uh, second, what, the second place in the citizenship award, I guess? Second. Oh, no. Second grade citizenship. Oh, award. sorry, sorry. You're right. But <laughs> the reason my memory was saying she won second place, and this some <laughs> some gr- better citizen is out there somewhere. But yeah, I don't know why I remembered it that of way. The, like but, twelve children that are on this page. <laughs> right. The, that kid on the big wheel was definitely the, the, the number one citizen. Um, but <laughs> but anyway, how do we feel about this moment? Now, there, there's multiple ways you can take it. Uh, I, I kind of want to get your guys's impression before I I come in with mine. Uh, I, I think it's a little clunky. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it, it, it gets the job done as far as like telling us her name, but um, just you know, it, it's it's such the the ideal perfect prop to tell us who this who this character is. You know, there's a little bit of a a lack of mystery to it that that I think this moment uh, undercuts, but. Um, I'm also curious why she appears to be holding a Starbucks cup in in the picture. <laughs> I was I have that exact note. I was like, why is she drinking? She's having a coffee right now. It looks like she's having a coffee, and she's also like dressed as an Amish child or something. Like like I'm not I'm not certain about the like outfit she's wearing. Like the picture itself is is very strange, but um, yeah, it seems to be a it seems to be a school photo. But they don't let you have a drink in the school yeah. photo, right? Very strange. Yeah, I think, you know, yeah. I mean, go ahead, Kyle. I want to hear what you have to say about it as well. The mechanics of it are a little bit clunky, but I did notice on the rewatch of it this time in preparation for the podcast today that the sound design is very interesting in this moment because they kind of have that um, kind of like almost uh, echo echo chamber I guess is the word for it like that space sound that whenever they show a spaceship uh, in film like going through space it's this very kind of like hollow kind of like low hum when Ripley's holding that up and looking at it and I'm, I'm curious if there was they were trying to uh, juxtapose the the human that this used to be 
uh, as opposed to the isolated, you know, feral wild child that she is right now. We kind of using that sound. Otherwise, I don't know why it was in there other than just, I guess, you know, scene setting or whatever. But yeah, it's 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 more um, of a mechanical moment. It's just kind of like this has to be done. So here's who this person was uh, previously. That's kind of my thoughts on it. Well, yeah, I, I agree that it's clunky. There's no way to get around that. Like when you see something like this, it's very movie-ish, right? Like, oh, here's the scene where we see a picture of someone and it explains who they are. It's it's very expositional. But um, there's three ways to look at it that, that all kind of speak to what both of you said. Well, one that wasn't mentioned was that we need a little background on Newt at some point, And we don't get that anymore because the director's cut. You know, or in the theatrical cut, we've cut the Hadley's Hope sequence, right? So we don't get the fam- the family, we don't get her name, we don't get what she was before, and we do need the juxta- juxtaposition because we need this to be a little bit tragic. We need to see that she was once a happy child that's been her life has been destroyed. Uh, my question is, do we need it now? The, couldn't that have been a reveal later? Maybe it would have been more dramatically impactful later. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where that would have come, but it's possible. It seems to me more like. Uh, we'd have a slower sort of reveal of Newt. Like she would just be a feral child for a while and then we'd get to know her and, and, you know, she says what her name is or they find out what her name is. I mean, there's many ways that that could be done, but maybe we see the picture later. We talked about this way back, uh, I believe when Lindsay Romaine was on, we talked about how much more impactful it is to find out things about children's traumatic backgrounds a little later in the film sometimes. We talked about the fact that in Attack the Block, we get John Boyega's character who's set up as a thuggish kid, a robber, a kid that's willing to mug women and sell drugs. And the late reveal of his Spider-Man comforter on his bed is so much more impactful. It's like, well, no, he's just a kid. He was once an innocent kid and, and the circumstances have made him what he is. How much more that could have been, uh, how much more dramatically impactful that was when it was timed the way it was in that movie. So maybe that would have been the case here as well. But I do think that we need this. We need to know that she was once an innocent child. We need to see this picture. I'm just not sure if this is the timing for it. But then if we have the Hadley's Hope sequence, of course, we don't need this shot at all. Uh, We've had this all already. So I'm sure this was a reshoot situation when they decided to cut that scene for the theatrical cut. But... I, I'm not sure about that. I, th- I think maybe this works a little better if you read it as being about Ripley than as being about uh, Newt herself. Like, and this goes back to the information from the director's cut, so you know it's a f- extra textual to what we're seeing here. But you know, this is Ripley seeing Newt as a child, very similar to her daughter. You know, she left her daughter at age like what, ten, eleven. So Newt is basically the same age as her her daughter the last time she saw her and presumably looked somewhat similar to or you know her daughter presumably had pictures like this you know and I think it is uh, this moment does help in sort of um, really making that mother-daughter bond concrete and and, and linking that mother-daughter bond specifically to Amanda Ripley. You know, it could have been a lot worse, too. Her name could have been Amanda, you know, because she could have picked it up and seen like, you know, Amanda is her name. Yeah. You know, we could have gotten that. So I think this this could have gotten a lot worse, but it's it doesn't really bother me too much. I, I do admit that it's, just, it's, you know, for screenwriting, it is a little bit clunky, but it's serviceable and it, it, it does the job. But it's uh, it could have been more elegant. At least she didn't say my daughter won the citizenship award. <laughs> <laughs> but she was first place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I, you know, it's this is funny. Um, I'm more and more, especially this week, I'm more and more changing my mind about the Amanda Ripley situation. I spoke out pretty strongly against the the scene. I'm I'm still not a fan of the scene. Okay, I'll just say that. There's probably nothing that's going to change my mind about the scene in the in the fake park, you know, before the uh, inquest. I think it's a really clumsy scene. I think it's poorly done in that it's a kind of a double whammy of Burke providing bad news, like two scenes in a row. It seems a little redundant. But the existence of Amanda Ripley is starting to kind of, I'm starting to warm up to it. Uh, I certainly love her in uh, Alien Isolation, though I'm not a gamer at all. I think that that game's pretty great, and, and sh- she's great. a great character in it. But I I think my mind is opening, guys. I think I'm starting to see a new world here of the existence of Amanda Ripley within the text of Aliens. And because the fact that you, you know, Genevieve, you say that this scene should be read that way, man, you're right. You're totally right. Like if I'm seeing this, and I am seeing it through Ripley's eyes, literally, this is literally a POV shot of Ripley taking in this information. I should be thinking about how she is processing it as a character more than I should be thinking about the mechanics of the screenplay, which is probably my fault for being a screenwriter and looking at things this way too much. Uh, maybe if I maybe that says something about my weakness as a screenwriter. Maybe I need to be thinking more about character. But that's you're right. I I, I just wish that scene was stronger. I wish there was something the the vehicle in which Ripley gets the information about her daughter and we as the audience get that information through her earlier in the movie. If that was stronger. I would be much more on board, but if that's there and I'm get, seeing this, these things as they're revealed about Newt through Ripley's eyes, I think this movie is all the more richer. So I'm starting to open up to it a little bit, kind of in a middle ground now where I was firmly against before. Do we have anything else for this minute? No. And here we thought we'd be light on stuff to say. <laughs> I know. It's always the way it's, it's weird how the conversation always takes you way farther than your notes ever, ever did. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That means it's, I think it's the sign of a good movie. So yeah. So something for aliens. All right, Genevieve, you want to remind everyone where they can find you out there on online? Sure. I am the uh, co-host and producer of the next picture podcast. I am also uh, the deputy culture editor at Vox.com working behind the scenes and occasionally in front of them there. And I am on Twitter at Genevieve Kosky. And Kyle, uh, you can find me at, at other movies by minute podcast. Uh, my brother Brady and I did Ghostbusters Minute, Jurassic Park Minute, and Goonies Minute uh, under the Pele Media banner. And we also have a sports show which drops every Monday called Undrafted by our other brother, Jamie Crane. Uh, it's a pretty good show. And if you want to follow me, I'm at Kyle Crane on Twitter, uh, where you can just uh, find me uh, talking all sorts of trash about the proposed Alien 5 by Neil Bloomkamp. All right. Well, that's going to do it for minute number 48. We'll see you tomorrow for minute 49.